Welcome to Piecing It All Together, everybody. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Today we're going to be talking about something like practicing learning or the importance of practice in learning. Yeah, sometimes people call that praxis, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. All thoughtful, right. Thoughtful practice. Okay. Before we get to that, Randy, you had a big honor of speaking at the commencement ceremony of the school you've been teaching at, and I didn't get a chance to listen to it yet, but the photographs were amazing to see you on that stage in your regalia with the headdress on. That was quite a quite a picture. Yeah, so I, I and when you say regalia, I had my um, academic regalia that was created in the uh, Nates program uh, when I was heading that program up the uh, North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. Um, we created our own gowns and um, those kinds of things. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're a little uh, little different, you know. Instead of three bars, we had three eagle feathers and some fringe and all that sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, then I had on my, uh, my eagle feather, uh, headdress, which, um, you know, when I was given that, uh, one of the things the elder told me was, and it was given in a public ceremony was that, uh, you know, when you wear this, you wear it to honor the people you're addressing um, and so, you know, I was honoring all those graduates, uh, yeah. many of whom I knew and had in my courses and, and, uh, yeah, so, and that will be my last, my final, uh, commencement service, which I think is why they asked me to uh, do the commencement address, which is ironic because the first year I was here, I did yeah. the commencement service for the whole George Fox thing when they used to have uh, both undergrads and grads graduating together. Okay. So my first year here and my last year here, I was uh, able to book in the commencement services. <laughs> That's, that is perfect symmetry. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of um, good. I like that. Uh, I always like when people honor you and when you and Edith get a chance to share your wisdom and your experience and your insights. I always, I always just love, uh, those opportunities. And every time I've gotten to be there for those people are, you know, both moved, but also their uh, consciousness is expanded because they're introduced to a, a paradigm that they may not have had access to before. Right. Yeah. And, and also everybody wants their picture taken with the guy with eagle feathers. On, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. They, but the, honestly, they were great pictures and, it made me it made me smile ear to ear to see them. Yeah. And then I, I was really shocked. Uh, I mean, literally shocked uh, to be honored with uh, one of the two awards that they give out to graduate faculty every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, so the George Fox Awards, uh, two undergrad uh, faculty awards and achievement awards and two graduate school faculty achievements awards. And this is, you know, grad schools, not just the seminary, but all the other ones, psychology oh, okay. and sociology and, you know, all the rest of them. And, um, and the seminary actually uh, received both awards this year, which is oh. really unusual. 
And another thing that was unusual is that the, there were uh, no white people receiving the awards this year. <laughs> uh, wow. So, yeah. And that's a big deal because I know that George Fox as an institution has made a commitment for diversity in faculty hires. And so for that to bear fruit in an award presentation like that, that's a big deal. It was. And actually, if you look at the uh, photos, uh, you'll see that most of the people in the seminary are not white. Yeah. Um, and and the reason that that's happened, well, one of the impetus was, um, uh, you know, like having a Native person there pointing out all their racism and, uh, you know. Wait, is that, is that Native person you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't alone, but I was yeah. definitely one of the main instigators. And so uh, they've transformed uh, a lot of things uh, over the years. And, and it was uh, it was a really actually um, kind of healing for me to, after all, I've been through there, which I won't go into now, but uh, uh, just just the systemic, you know, racism that exists within most white organizations that were built really for white people yeah. and especially in academia and um, the things that I've gone through there, I've shared a lot of them with you over the years and they've been pretty consternating. Um, but uh, you know, with the drum roll, so uh, Eka, uh, Eka Putra who uh, teaches um, in the Bible department received the teacher of the year award. Wow. Um, he's uh um, oh, and I'm forgetting where he's from, but it's um, it's not Malaysia, but it's is it uh, Indonesia? Indonesia, yeah. Thank you. Um, and he received the Teacher of the Year award, which is you know great. And I saw that happen, and I was like, you know, well, that's fantastic that that he got something. And yeah. then I was pretty shocked. Back to my shock to see that I received the Faculty Achievement Award graduate award for uh, research and scholarship. Wow. And, um, and so I'd been nominated for that one once in the past, and I've been nominated for the teacher of the year three times in the past, but uh, never thought I would ever get that. And, um, and to my surprise, I mean, utter surprise, I was like, my jaw dropped when they, they said my name um, yeah. because I've been for many years there, persona non grata. Uh, and, uh, uh, but I know a lot of that had to do with a couple things. One is uh, our new Dean who has been very supportive of me over the last few years. Um, Mary Kate Moore, she's fantastic. She's amazing. Yeah. And um, just a very fair person. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I think her, probably pushing it. And then also I think I produced so much stuff in the last two years that there was just no way they could give it to anyone else because, you know, in the last, you know, uh, two years I produced, uh, one, one book with you, yeah. uh, decolonizing evangelicalism. And then January 4th this year, uh, becoming rooted, which has done extremely well. And then April 19th this year, Indigenous theology in the Western worldview, 
which is doing well. And then in July, I have another one coming out called uh, Mission in the Cultural Other, A Closer Look. Uh, and, uh, and then I produced, I think, eight chapters during that time period and like uh, five different articles. So um, with all of that, I just don't think there was any way they could say <laughs> Wow, you just you didn't give them an option to not recognize that level of output and scholarship. Well, I think they could have, but when you have somebody like Mary Kate in your corner, I think yeah. you know, it just it just made made it obvious. So beautiful. Um, yeah. So I was really so in in a way it was very healing for me to see to look back and to see the changes that have happened. Um, certainly not all of them, but some of them as a result of my pushing, um, and, uh, uh, and others, um, and to see that, uh, you can make a, a difference systemically when, you know, you, you stand by your principles. And, um, I always, you know, one, one of the problems that, that I've encountered in life is that, uh, um, it, it, they're sort of like, and this is actually what I spoke on. So I spoke uh, at the commencement address on me, my world, and the world, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the me, and I have to make the changes in myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's my world. How do I change my community, my workplace, my uh, uh, you know organization, uh, my church, et cetera, my county, my city, uh, and then there's the world. And I said, very few of us ever get a chance to change the world. Mm -hmm. But it's the changing the me and the change in my world that prepares us to change the world. And so um, so I, I've always felt, you know, like I had to make the have the integrity within myself and then the integrity to change my world. And my world has always been predominantly where I work. And so um, I've always uh, stood up and um, created uh, uh, impetus for structural change in the places that I've worked. I always thought it was a bit hypocritical for me if I ignored the racism and paternalism and uh, patriarchy and things in my own workplace. And then I went out in the streets and I marched against it. Right. Yeah. So. So we have to have integrity. And the thing is, is the reason that most people do are able to do that, disconnect with their workplace and then go do something to change, quote unquote, the world is because it costs too much to change your world. It will cost you. And it's cost me dearly over the years. I paid a high price. But I look back now, I'm getting ready to retire next year and I you know, and, and it was painful and there've been some painful consequences, but I have to say, at least I feel like I have my integrity intact. So. Wow. Randy, thank you for sharing that. And just to know that that was a healing moment for you just brings joy to my heart to know because for all the ups and downs and twists and turns, to see that that landed in a in a good place is just amazing. It really it really was. I think just uh, you know creators uh, mm. 
kindness to allow me to see through those kind of eyes before I left. So, wow. And, and, and also thanks to, you know, people who were put in the right positions like uh, Mary Kate, for example. Yeah. Um, God bless her, man. Yeah. 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 Cause, cause if things would have stayed the same as they were all along, uh, this kind of thing would have never happened. And mm-hmm. I'd probably still have quite a bit of bitterness and other things, but, uh, I'm just really glad it, it worked out well for everybody. So the organization's better off and I'm better off now. So. What a great way to open this episode. Wow. Uh, by the way, speaking of ECA, I just want to shout out uh, Claremont. He's a Claremont grad. <laughs> and so I want to acknowledge that. Uh, we were actually in our PhD programs at the same time and over, oh, overlapped a little bit with the, the post-colonial emphasis uh-huh. So I know him a little bit from Claremont days. And so uh, I'm very happy for him. And um, now it's interesting because the church community that he's a part of is sort of a sister church to us. On, I'm on the west side of the river. They're on the east side of the river. And so he's sort of the resident, the theologian in residence or something. Uh, over there, and I know plays a really important role, and I get to talk to his pastor, and she just thinks the world of him, and so I'm just so happy to be associated with him and to see him doing well. That's really, you know, and I'm actually going to link in the show notes to an article that he wrote about the post-colonial love of God, Hmm. because I think it's a really good article, and so I'll share that with everybody uh, in the show notes there, so look for that. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. I didn't even know you had any connection. So, ah. you know, we went to lunch one time uh, when he was first hired. And yeah. uh, and then we've just had several just very small chats, but I really like him as a person. And then I hear a lot of good things from students about his courses, too. So I did, too. I, I heard he's a very, very good instructor. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, I want to thank a couple of our listeners who... After a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I had switched programs and that I'm actually working on my dissertation now to finish up a doctor of ministry. So uh, two things that I think you might find interesting, Randy. Uh, The first is that Claremont School of Theology was going to move up here to Willamette University. Right. Be a part of in uh, Salem. But because of the legal battle to sell their property in Claremont, uh, and the inability to do so, they're going to have to dissolve that relationship. So if I graduate next year, hopefully, I will actually be walking the stage in L.A. and not here in Salem. Wow. So, so I'm sort of excited about that because I haven't been back to L.A. in a while. But um, sort of sad that my family won't be able to see me walk the stage in Salem. But, you know educational institutions are having a terrible time right now between tuition and uh, real estate and so many other issues. Um, So, you know, it's all very topsy-turvy. Every institution I have ever been associated with, Simpson College in Reading, uh, Canadian Bible that was in Regina, Saskatchewan, Nyack College in New York, uh, Claremont and George Fox, all five of them have either had to move or had to change physically where they are doing school just because of the immense challenges. And we could name Fuller Seminary in that down in Pasadena. So many institutions are having to sort of reinvent themselves, whether it's online 
or with residential seminary and with denominational changes and so many things with real estate prices. I mean, it's a really weird time to be in higher ed. Yeah. And, and particularly seminary, because, you know, a couple statistics you might be interested in, um, 150 pastors a month leave the clergy. I heard this. And um, between uh, 2021 and 2025, over 100,000 churches will close their doors. Woo, that is quite, that's amazing to think about. You so know, the seminary isn't trying to figure out what its purpose is anymore, which is different than it used to be. Um, you know, they're sunk. Yeah. Hey, what's your shirt say? You don't what? <laughs> uh, you don't scare me. I have two daughters. <laughs> Was that a Father's Day present? Yeah, from my youngest oh, daughter, Scott. I love it. That's hilarious. You always have interest. When you have a message shirt on, it's always an interesting message. <laughs> hey, yeah. but, I, but the, the listeners that I wanted to thank, I'll just specifically name Jana who uh, I, I had several of our podcast listeners reach out to me when I mentioned what I was going to be the, doing my research design on uh, book groups that have looked at anti-racist material. I had several people reach out to me and let me know about their experience. But she actually wrote me a lengthy email uh, giving me some really good direction, actually, as I formulate my research questions. And so I just wanted to thank her for not only being a faithful listener and a participant when we've had, you know, different events, but uh, for sending me that email and just how helpful it was. I'm, I'm actually so happy that I'm going to be able to sort of draw on the communal wisdom, sort of crowdsource. Um, I think my project in the end is going to be a much better uh, research project because people are so gracious and willing to help me out and figure out how to ask better questions and how to follow up with things. And so I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who followed up with me and specifically Jana. So you're talking about Jana Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. So she's great. Very kind person. She's now in the Nate school, uh, North American Institute for indigenous theological studies that I helped co-found and uh, studying there. Um, She also, um, uh, I'm just going to give an, a, another shout out to her and to Sarah Withrow King, who basically manage our volunteer page. Um, what? And, yeah. So, so, you know, I'm really thankful to both of them. Uh, we have a, a volunteer page where people sign up when they come out on the last Saturday of every month. And then sometimes groups come out and individuals come out at different times. And, you know, that takes some of the burden off me for them to, to manage that and, and let me know what's happening. So. Yeah, we've got some great people around. We've had so much overlap in the intro to this uh, conversation this morning. That's awesome to see all of the interweaving of our relational web. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Randy, I want to ask you a question that I think you want to answer. Why is it so important that people get their hands in the dirt when they're learning about whether it's agriculture or spirituality, why is the doing, the practice, 
so important to the way that you conceptualize of learning and education and spirituality. Why, why is it so vital? Yeah. So, um, so that could be answered in a whole lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. When you just talk about even just getting your hands in the dirt, uh, what's happening is one, one, you're um, getting some protective bacteria that you would not otherwise <laughs> get on your body. And two, you're creating um, a hormonal response uh, that actually, you know, uh, I don't know if it's the, the dopamines or what's going on. I forget, you know, the endorphins, whatever, but um, getting your hands in the actual dirt creates this sort of a similar response that you have when you walk in the woods. Yeah. Uh, And when you walk in the woods, there's actually, you know, trees actually put off a pheromone that make you feel better um, when you go in the woods. So, you know, nature is designed to basically uh, welcome us, if you will. Now, you know, you know, some people are going right away back to the other side. Well, tornadoes don't welcome us. You know, yeah, that's not we're talking about Um, those. We could talk about those also. But uh, when we talk about theodicy, but um, basically your relationship with nature is designed just for that, for you to have this relationship and you to benefit from it. So um, so that's just the very and then um, on on a, a subatomic level, you know, that dirt is basically becoming a part of you and you a part of it. And, you know, and that's where we all come from and that's where we all go back to, to begin with. So, um, so there's some, some benefits to the literal getting your hands in the dirt, like you said, but like at a little broader scale, right. Um, So we've got this uh, platonic dualism that's been a part of us for over 3000 years. Um, This is the, the in, in a sense, it's sort of like um, someone poisoned our water 3,000 years ago, and we've been drinking it ever since. Wow. And then along with that water, which helped, which basically separated reality from us, right? It's like, uh, I don't know if you want to use the Truman Show or you want to use the Matrix or however, <laughs> you know, whatever analogy you want to use Westworld and, you know, you ever stop to question your reality sort of a thing. But we've been living in a false reality. The West has been living in a false reality uh, that that really began, or at least one beginning, was over 3,000 years ago with Platonic dualism. Yeah. And that dualism basically said that the, the ethereal world, in other words, the things you can't touch, the mind, the spirit, the products of the mind, the products of the spirit, quote unquote, um, is given privilege over the material world the things you can touch, the tangible things. And so now uh, that has been embedded over all these years, you know, quick history, you know, uh, I think Plato learned it from Socrates. I think uh, Plato taught it to Aristotle. Aristotle taught it to his student, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great spreads it around the world, what we call Hellenism or Greek thinking, Greek ways, Greek civilization is the highest form. And then, just as it dies out, um, we have the Renaissance from the 14th to the 17th century. And what is the Renaissance? It's the revitalization, the revival, the rebirth of Greek thinking, Greek philosophy, Greek architecture, Greek art, et cetera, et cetera. And again, that Greco-Roman idea of, you know, that's the highest form of civilization on earth. It moves to the British Empire 
adopted in Anglo-Saxonism, and now the British think that they are the highest form of civilization in the world, and then it comes to the shores of America in two forms. It comes in through the um, uh, Enlightenment movement, which doubles down, you know, with with people like uh, uh, Francis Bacon and Rene Descartes and, you know, um, Adam Smith and, you know, lots of folks like that who basically come from that and and double down where, where Descartes says something like, you know, I am a soul, but I ha- just have a body. Right. And, and so it's just this amorphous attachment that is the reality. And my body's just a shadow of false reality in the sense of a pseudo reality. Yeah. Um, and what they did was over. Uh, and, and then the other one was the uh, Reformation which embodied, um, or I should say disembodied, uh, you know, the physical from everything. So it became doctrine, the products of the mind. What's the most important? Doctrine. It's so important that we will kill you if you disagree with us. And so that's what all the religious wars in Europe were about, right? It's like, you know, you have to have correct doctrine. And that comes all the way down into, and when we covered some of this in Decolonizing Evangelicalism, um, the book, uh, you know, it comes all the way down into evangelicalism and fundamentalism and to where, you know, it's the emphasis is on correct doctrine, not correct practice or praxis as we're getting to. And so when so the answer, uh, simple answer to your question is what happens when you actually do stuff and don't just think stuff yeah. is that you embody it and you begin to heal that false reality and come back into a, a a real reality, which is whole person, whole purpose, uh, fullness, um, you know, our, our mind, body, spirit, emotions, but all those things, which cannot be separated. We are all of that in one. Right. And, and to, to emphasize one over the other is a false reality. And so when we embody that, when we embody our theology, when we embody our philosophies and our ethics and all those kinds of things. And when we just learn by doing, we're healing that false reality and healing that split in our whole person. Oh, wow. That was a tour de force. Uh, (laughs) And one of the things that fascinates me is that everyday people all over right everywhere you go who know none of that who know nothing about what you just said still in their mindset right their their worldview if you want to say it that way they really do just almost like second at this point it's like second nature it's an inherited way of viewing the world they see creation and even other animals as them and humans as both superior and different. Right. So the, the, and that happens through hierarchy, hierarchical thinking, right? So when you have the mind above the spirit or the, I'm sorry, the the mind and spirit above the body or the earth, uh, and that's your ranking, Mm -hmm. then the the things of the mind uh, begin to rank higher. And so you start thinking in dualisms uh, and in hierarchies. And so Aristotle is the one that said that, you know, his civilization, which basically ends up being white people, he didn't call it that, but but um, uh, Greeks uh, are the highest form, uh, but and, and they're meant to rule and others are meant to be slaves. 
Now, Aristotle at least um, had a sort of a passageway for those people to come up, right, and become citizens. And Rome was mm-hmm. kind of took that and, and ran with it. But um, but but there's the hierarchy of races, right? And then there's the hierarchy of genders, yeah. and then there's the hierarchy of anthropocentrism of the the whole community of creation as human beings above rather than just simply a part of each playing a special role. And then, and so you have all these hierarchies that um, have, are, are just filled in all of our denominations, you know, and uh, in all of our uh, government positions and all of our, and, and so the, the idea is that, um, and we could go into a whole new Testament study if you want, but, but this is not, um, Jesus didn't talk about hierarchies. Jesus talked about uh, equality and Jesus talked about like, you see how the, the Romans are doing it. You know, don't do that. Don't lord over each other, but serve one another. And we take that as an ethic, but we don't take it as a structure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a structure. That is really, yeah. I, I It makes me think of so many things. Like if you look at organizational charts, they're almost always in a pyramid. They're, we think in triangles in the, the Western worldview. But if you actually read the gospel, you will find a lot of circles. There are a lot of, um, and, that, and that doesn't mean that there's not, say, you know, somebody at the head of the table, but the table is round and we are all connected, right? And so you find this connection of deep connection that we're all part of the same, whether it's conversation or community or movement. And so recognizing our interrelatedness and how we influence one another, we learn from one another and that our actions impact others, you know, that kind of relational thought is actually just woven all throughout, specifically in Jesus's model and teachings. It's, it's profoundly different than many, I would say, most all of the models that you find predominating our world now. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, that, uh, hierarchy uh, also led to the dissolution of corporateness and related relatedness so that some are more important than others. Some are less related than others. Uh, and, and so then, out of that, I think, flows this individualism that we experience so much today, which, by the way, you know, uh, no one in the scripture wrote to individuals. You know, there was a, a more of a corporate thinking kind of a. Uh, and so now we have this extreme individualism in America is probably the most individualistic society to ever exist. Uh, and so the, the everybody has to have their, their own cars and everybody has to have their own, you know, uh, backyard away from everybody else and every, in the suburbs and everybody, you know, and, and, uh, and everybody has to have their own nuclear family. Um, and I think that has led to a lot of the neurosis that's going on right now. And a lot of the reasons that people can't seem to connect, even if you will, school shootings, and um, and other kinds of atrocities that are occurring because people cannot connect in community, and community does so much for us. It, it makes us accountable. Um, it it gives us the acceptance that we need, um, so that we don't have to find other ways to be accepted. Um, and you know it, and it also shares resources, of course, and it makes us feel a part of something where we all have a role. 
And so, um, you know, this, this individualism is also tearing us apart and, uh, um, yeah. And, 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 and the worst thing about individualism is it's really based on greed. Capitalism is based on greed. Yeah. This unbridled capitalism that we insist on. And so we care more about making more money for big pharma, big oil, um, and industrial farming, uh, big gun manufacturers, all of those things, in spite of how much it harms us and kills us and kills our, our people around us and kills our families. In spite of that, we won't do away with the system that, that rewards individualism and greed uh, in lieu of something that would be more, you know, uh, beneficial for the whole common good. One of the ways that we can opt out of this operational mentality, if you want to call it uh, ideology, this mental framework that we've inherited, one of the ways that we can begin to opt out of it is by practicing right to walk the walk and not just talk to the talk is to get out of that brain space and to actually go do something with what we've learned. And in the doing, at least two things happen. One is that I actually know that the, the information, the concept, the abstract idea moves out of just my brain waves and actually comes down into the cells of my body and my muscles and my tendons and my ligaments and my joints and my fingernails. And that the when knowledge or wisdom comes down into the body, that my body actually holds the wisdom or the information, the knowledge in a different way that gives it long lasting Retention. I'm able to hold on to what I've learned by practicing it, that the practice of whatever it is, you know, it can be it can be anything from public speaking to farming or, you know, what sewing, quilting, that when it moves from theory into practice, that the wisdom actually is absorbed in a different way into the cells of my body and my body holds on to it that knowledge isn't only located in my brain tissue. That's right. Located in all of my tissue. Yeah. And now think about expanding that when you're having that experience together with others. Now you have a shared experience Mm. and there's something even uh, unique that happens there that, uh, that all of a sudden there's this connectedness. Yeah. Was never there before. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've been having a very interesting uh, last six weeks. I've begun volunteering at a new uh, organization. And so I've never I haven't really done something like this much in my life. And so I've been, been volunteering at this uh, cycling organization. And one of the really the things I'm finding so valuable is to partner with my fellow volunteers. And mm-hmm. I'm learning so much from them. Some of them have volunteered for 12, 20 years, and they know all sorts of little tricks and tips, you know, uh, about doing things. But also some of uh, my fellow newbies come from different areas of life and they bring a wisdom with them from their experiences of whether it's raising kids, you know, or their professional life or their educational life or whatever, their hobbies. And 
that collective wisdom, we're so much better working together than as, you know, six little atoms going all our separate ways. But when we actually partner together, the amount of collected wisdom that's there is actually pretty inspiring. You can physically see the difference it makes when we communicate and cooperate as a team, as a community, right? A communal shared responsibility. It's actually been a very, very uh, eye-opening experience for me and just reinforced how important it is to actually do stuff with other people. Yeah. And, And those are sacred experiences because that can never be repeated. That's right. I mean, even if you get the same people together every week, they're in a different place, you know, uh, in their minds and everything else. And so, um, yeah, so those are sacred times that uh, we need to cherish and and uh, and understand them as that. So, uh, yeah, that's great. Randy, before we wrap up, I feel the need to speak up and defend theory for a minute. Okay. So theory in itself is not bad. Uh, especially like for us, you know, we, you, you and I utilize critical theory. It's one of the things is in our book. Um, we are theorists. We are people who try to help the larger community. We have this both training and this uh, positional responsibility to theorize about the practice and to help people understand or have access to ideas. Maybe they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And so theory in itself is not a bad thing. It's that theory without practice is empty, right? It's abstract. It's elusive. And so sometimes you actually start with practice, depending on what the activity is or the situation is, that you start with practice. And it's later that as a community, you reflect on that practice. And that can be called theorizing. And in order to return the full cycle, bring it full circle and to make to in in order to practice down the road in a way that is edifying and nurturing and nourishing both to body and mind and soul. And so that whole circle, that cycle is what gets called praxis. And so for those who don't know, we're not bad mouthing theory necessarily. We're just concerned about theory without practice. Yeah. And well, we- yeah. Let, now that's that's one way to put it. Um, and maybe we'll end with this quote. I, I heard a wise elder say something. Um, and and I don't know. Uh, you know. I mean, I think this can go along with what you're saying, but also in some ways it sort of tips it a bit. Okay. And and he said he was raised traditional, um, and he said. Uh, our traditional way is to feel with your heart and then your heart tells your mind what to do. He said today though, we think with our brains, with our minds and our minds tell our heart what to do, or they try to tell our heart what to do. Mm. Now that's an interesting paradigm. That's yeah, that's a special kind of wisdom that's earned. And maybe we just leave people with that thought. Yeah. Well, listener, we would love to know what this looks like for you. 
hand and heart and head in community. And so we would love to hear from you. So if you want to email us at connect it, piecing it all together, or you can post on the Facebook page, or you can post on the show notes here for the episode, but this is going to be an ongoing conversation and we would love to hear your thoughts on it and how you practice it. All right. Sometime in the future, maybe we can talk about Garner's multiple intelligences and how that all plays in. And Ooh. You know, uh, Yes. And how about tactile modalities? Oh, wow. Yeah, let's get into that. <laughs> Whoa. Well, it has been a pleasure to be with you this morning. And um, I'm, I'm really so grateful to be in these conversations. And I always uh, learn and take things away. But my favorite thing since we've started recording these is sharing them with other people and then hearing from them. So I really do yeah. people let us know. Yeah, I, I, I keep hearing from people and I'm just so surprised because it, it, uh, that there's actually people listening to us out there. So, Yes, there are. Surprisingness. <laughs> uh, thanks. All right. Peace out. <laughs>